0: I think the, the biggest mistake is just spending lots of money on a supplement that has calcium, magnesium, potassium, and you name it, whatever other electrolyte ingredient is in there. And that's just not necessary. Sodium is what helps you retain the fluid that you drink.
1: Hello, and welcome to the October 20th, 2023 edition of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. We are just about a week removed from the inaugural women's only Ironman World Championship on the Big Island of Hawaii, 423 anyways, and by all accounts, it was a terrific day by any measure. The professional women again put on an amazing show with Lucy Charles Barkley finally shedding her bridesmaid status and taking the big prize that has eluded her for so long. By now you have certainly heard, if you didn't see, how Lucy led wire to wire in a very impressive performance, finally managing to have a run that put the perfect exclamation point to the fastest swim and bike splits of the day. Behind her, hard-charging Germans Annie Haug and Laura Phillip rounded out the podium while Ironman rookie Taylor Nib was the top American finishing fourth after sitting in second for much of the day. Daniela Reif made it clear that she's not exactly a has-been, although after the race she told reporters that this was, unfortunately, her last world championship, so kind of marks the end of an era. And last year's champion, Chelsea Sidero, well, she came off the bike 22 minutes back, but she ran through a lot of the field to come in a very respectable sixth. It was a great showcase of so many phenomenal women, and I know that we will see a very different race when the ladies shift to Nice in France in 2024. One thing that I noticed during the run portion of the event made me wonder about what I consider to be a somewhat uneven application of the rules across men and women. If you saw the event, then you saw that Taylor Nib ran almost the entire marathon with her tri-suit undone and pulled down to her waist, exposing her shoulders and her torso, except for a sports bra. And You may remember that friend of the podcast and editor of the fantastic triathlon newsletter The Tempo, Matthew Sharp, was disqualified after finishing third at the 70.3 race in Maine for the somewhat dubious sin of having his suit undone and exposing his chest to the spectators there on what was really a very hot day. I actually texted with Matt during the race in Kona to ask what he thought about this, and while he was not about to give me the satisfaction of being indignant, he did agree that it seemed a little bit unfair. Personally, I think it's a silly rule, but if it is going to say, then it needs to be applied both ways. Now, the rule says that your trisuit can be unzipped to the bottom, but the zipper has to stay completely done, at least at the bottom. And that was Matt's problem. He undid it at the bottom. Taylor undid her suit completely and removed it from her shoulders. And the rule states quite clearly that the trisuit must be kept to cover the shoulders. A sports bra is acceptable, but it clearly says that you have to keep your trisuit on over the shoulders if you unzip it. So she didn't do that, even though she was wearing a sports bra. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think Taylor should have been disqualified. I just don't think Matt should have been either. Now, Taylor removed her top for exactly the same reason that Matt did in Augusta in Maine. And that's simply because it's cooler that way. So why is it okay for her to get the benefit of not having herself covered and therefore being uh, able to cool herself a little better than it was for Matt? Matt's top remained on and over his shoulders, it was just unzipped. So technically, they both violated the rules, but only Matt was penalized. Well, what do you think? Am I off base here? Or is this a legitimate, if admittedly somewhat trivial, gripe? Let me know by leaving a comment in the TriDark Podcast private Facebook group. Now, it wasn't all about the Ironman World Championships last week. There happens to have been some other big news that also affected professionals, and that came in the form of an announcement of a new professional race series for Ironman at 70.3 races. Essentially, a list of 18 races was released, at which points are going to be awarded to pros who race and perform well there. Now, significantly more points are on offer for those who complete an Ironman than for 70.3. But given that pros can race more 70.3 events, I'm not sure how much that will have an impact on things. At any rate, points will be accumulated throughout the year, and pros use their top five points awards that they get in races, similar to how the AWA rankings are calculated, where we get our top three point-getting races, so that at the end of the season, cash awards totaling almost $2 million will be dispersed to the top 50 men and women. At first glance, this seems like a pretty obvious response to the Professional Triathletes Organization, or PTO, and its limited series of races that pay out top dollar to winners. Clearly, the 70.3 World Championship suffered this year by being in such close proximity on the calendar to a PTO race in Singapore, and you wonder if Ironman is trying to get ahead of the curve here and lure professionals back with the promise of a big payday. Now, the issues for the PTO are legion and do not need to be rehashed here, but I am not the only one wondering how much longer they can hang on. Well, whatever the reason for this announcement by Ironman, count me among those who are happy to see it. I think seeing more pros race the best races will make for much better viewing, and having a season-long series like this will definitely increase interest in our sport. The one thing that would add to this whole idea would be a similar investment in the broadcasts of those races. Paying for better quality television commentary and production would go a long way to making this enterprise significantly more likely to succeed in the long run. On the show today, the medical mailbag has another listener question to answer, and this one relates to a kind of new product that has been increasingly advertised, but only on social media that I could find. The Dream Tape Recovery System is essentially a strip of tape that you use to, well, tape your mouth closed while sleeping. And the point of that is to force breathing through your nose. Now, the makers of the tape make a lot of bold claims about the product and have enlisted some pretty accomplished athletes to help them spread the word, presumably when the tape was off, of course. As always, Coach Juliette Hockman and I are here to help you figure out fact from fiction and get to the bottom of whether or not the dream recovery is worth a look, or if it's best to just keep your money parked right where it is. And that is coming up shortly. Later, I'm joined by Alex Harrison. Alex is a writer for Outside Magazine, an exercise physiologist, and like me, a somewhat frequent debunker of a lot of the things marketed to endurance athletes that just don't really make a lot of sense. He does this on a very entertaining series of YouTube videos that he produces with his wife and that I highly recommend. In addition, Alex has a fueling app called Saturday. He's also a strength coach and has developed the Renaissance Periodization Plan for Training, or RP for short. And we're going to chat about all of this and more that's coming up a little later on. Before all of that, as always, I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters of this podcast, who have decided that for about the price of a cup of coffee per month, they could sign up to support this program, and in doing so, get access to bonus interviews and other segments that come out about every month or so. Next week, a new bonus episode will be available for those subscribers in the form of a special medical segment on Can Training Make You Sick? If you enjoy hearing these kinds of episodes, if you're looking to hear bonus episodes like that and the other ones that have been recorded over the past couple of years, I hope that you'll consider signing on to become a Patreon supporter. And if you do so at the $10 per month level of support, you'll receive a special thank you gift in the form of a BOCO TriDoc podcast running hat. So I hope that you'll visit my Patreon site today to learn more at patreon.com forward slash tridocpodcast. Think about becoming a supporter so that you can get access and maybe this cool gift as well. And as always, you have my thanks just for considering. It's that time again for the medical mailbag, that section of the program when I'm joined by my friend and colleague, coach Juliette Hawkman of Life Sports Coaching. Juliet, welcome back.
2: Thanks so much. Great to be here.
1: We have another listener submitted question. Juliet, what is the question that is burning in the minds of one of our listeners this week?
2: Well, I'm glad this question came across the transom, actually, because about the same time you mentioned it, I had noticed on social media that a swimmer that I follow is also promoting this. And it's, it's called a dream tape. And it's basically a a bamboo silk tape that goes over your mouth when you sleep and it's supposed to promote nose breathing, which supposedly has all these other benefits that might or might not help with performance. I can't imagine sleeping with my mouth closed. (laughs) So I'm really, I'm really curious as to what you've learned about this. I did go on the website and read a little bit about it. As a former clarinetist, I know the importance of breathing and breathing through your nose, breathing through your mouth. So I'm really curious to hear what you found out about this product called Dream Tape.
1: Yeah, I think we have to start first and foremost, just by acknowledging that the the product is, is it's Dream Tape by Dream Recovery. So I'm not sure if they're suggesting that you're going to recover your dreams or if you're just having a dreamlike recovery from the exertion that you're doing during the day. It's not clear to me. I will say that this product violates a lot of the tenets, a lot of the, the principles that we talk about here on the TriDoc podcast of things that athletes need to be wary of. The first is they have a very slick website. It's it's quite colorful. It's, it's very well done, very well designed, and it makes a lot of boastful claims. Uh, many of those claims are, well, frankly, a little bit hard to believe. But let's just sort of see what the deal is, and we can dig into the research around this. They did list a few papers on their website that they used to kind of back up their claims. But, as we will find, the the, the, the claims being made and the research being cited to back up those claims are not necessarily related. So uh, dream Maybe you
2: can... So, maybe you yep. can sort of start with just saying, like, what's the deal with nose breathing? I mean, why is that better than mouth breathing? I thought that we got deeper breathing that we could breathe breathe kind of further down into our lungs. At least that's what I was told as a as a wind musician if you actually breathe through your mouth. So what's the deal with nose breathing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I actually hadn't really heard this before, and when I started reading about it, and a couple of the papers they actually have on their website do actually back up this idea that nose breathing is better in certain circumstances and for certain people. The idea is that when you breathe through your nose, there's a couple of benefits. Number one, you tend to filter the air better. So you actually remove particles, you actually decrease the likelihood of certain types of infection because our nose is basically a much better filter for air coming into our bodies than is the mouth. That's number one. Number two, there is humidification that happens in the nose. So the nose has very rich blood supply and mucosa there. And as air passes over the turbinates within the nose, it becomes humidified. And that humidified air going into the lungs is actually better for the lungs Then dry air. Now, this is obviously not as big of a deal if you're in a humid environment, but for people like me living in Denver where it's incredibly dry, breathing through the nose can have that benefit. And then the other benefits are really related to sleep. And that's what this whole product is about, is is about closing the mouth during sleep to promote nose breathing at night. And uh, I just want to get to their claims, and then I'll, I'll answer the, the bigger question of why. So they say, why nose breathe? And they list nine different kind of benefits. So they say reduced snoring enhanced oxygen intake, improved sleep quality, improved recovery, increased mental clarity, reduced dry mouth, increased focus, enhanced lung function, and jaw and facial alignment. So that sounds great. I'd I'd love to, you know, put a piece of tape over my mouth and have better recovery and increased mental clarity. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. But what does the science say? So on their website, they actually link to uh, a few papers and all of the papers that they link to had to do with nose breathing in patients with obstructive sleep apnea. So what is obstructive sleep apnea?
2: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: so people who are quite overweight and the papers that looked at this were papers where people had BMIs of in the 30s so these are really o- overweight and obese people they tend to have a lot of redundant tissues in their neck and in their oropharynx and when they lie on their backs their that tissue kind of folds backwards and into and kind of obstructs their airway and these people will have incredibly loud snoring, and they'll have pauses in their breathing while they're sleeping. Because what will happen is that airway becomes obstructed, they end up having what's called apnea, they stop breathing, and they actually build up carbon dioxide in their bloodstream. And over years of this, they actually develop some pretty serious medical problems. They could develop pulmonary hypertension, right heart failure. I mean, it's it's a real, real problem. But it all stems from being overweight, This is not OSA obstructive sleep apnea. Is not something that afflicts people who are training for triathlons. And all of the papers that look at this idea of mouth breathing, sorry, of nose breathing, and of and of promoting nose breathing by using some kind of mouth tape have indeed shown that in patients with OSA with obstructive sleep apnea, if you cover the mouth with tape, you do in fact decrease snoring. And you do, in fact, increase – you promote breathing through the nose and you you decrease the amount of apnea episodes during the night. So it seems to have some benefit for people who have OSA. This is not who this product is being marketed to. I was going to
2: say, so how are they making the leap from these people who are not the fitness and body type of triathletes for whom it might be effective to the population that we're speaking with on this podcast?
1: That's an excellent question, Juliet, and I'm so happy you brought it up. Have we had? Have we met before? Have we had any discussions about this prior? No, of course <laughs> it not. It
2: seems uh, obvious. <laughs> but,
1: but you're asking the most important question, and this is what I encourage listeners of this podcast always to be thinking about. When a product like this makes some kind of claims, and especially when they cite research, It behooves you to at least glance at that research, even if you don't read the whole paper. I mean, listen to the the name of the study that they link to, The Impact of Mouth Taping in Mouth Breathers with Mild Obstructive Sleep Apnea, a Preliminary Study. Now, you may not know what obstructive sleep apnea is. That's okay. Just Google it. You'll find out what it is, right? And you'll find out very quickly that this has nothing to do with athletes. So there are no papers that they link to. That talk anything at all about most of their claims, so reduce snoring sure i 'll give it i 'll give them that Could it work listen. I, you know, my wife tells me I snore and I'm not, I'm not overweight. I don't have OSA. Would this work for me to help with snoring? There are other products out there. There's Breathe Right strips that you put on the nose. Sure, those promote yeah. those promote nose breathing and those actually do decrease snoring as well. So I have my no husband reason. wears those
2: yeah. <laughs> at night. Right. They work. Yep.
1: Yeah. So I have no reason to believe that this tape would not work. So the tape probably does decrease snoring. Now, Look, I snore, your husband snores, we both sleep fine because we don't have OSA. And I mean, my wife doesn't sleep fine. So maybe this would help her with her recovery. But there's no reason to think that my sleep is going to be of any higher quality given that I don't have problems with obstructive sleep apnea. So, this idea that my sleep quality is going to be improved. There's no evidence whatsoever. I'm not sure where they came up with this. And then I, I'm pretty sure some of these other claims that they're making, the idea of improved recovery, increased mental clarity, I think those things are related to this notion, oh, if athletes are sleeping better, they'll have those things. That, that's my guess. And it, the, the reality is, is that there's no evidence whatsoever that mouth taping improves sleep quality, none. None of the studies showed that People with OSA slept any better. It just showed that they snored less. So so, you
2: know, so right. likewise, is there any evidence that if we plug the mouth and we are just breathing through our nose, is there a- any evidence that just nose breathing is beneficial to any of the things that they mention on the website? It's like, so does nose breathing actually – you know, these 10 bullet points reduce snoring, improve sleep quality, improve, I mean, improve recovery. Like, how do we how do we know that putting a tape over your mouth and breathing just to your nose will improve recovery?
1: Well, I, I don't think we do. And I, I think that's where I, and I encourage listeners of this program all the time when you see a product being advertised with all these kinds of claims. Think about it. Do the claims make sense? And is there a scientific rationale for them? And here, I don't think the claims make any sense, especially this idea of enhanced oxygen intake. I mean, that makes no sense at all. You breathe through your mouth, you breathe through your nose, you're still going to get the same amount of oxygen from the atmosphere. You're going to get the intake. I mean, it's ridiculous. This idea of enhanced lung function is also preposterous because your lungs don't care where the air is coming from, nose or mouth, your lungs are going to work exactly the same. Now, decreased dry mouth? Absolutely, right? We all know if you're breathing through your mouth at night, you wake up, you've got cotton mouth. I mean, right? It's terrible. And if you tape your mouth closed and you're breathing through your nose, Absolutely. You're going to have decreased dry mouth. I think that goes without saying. And I don't need a study to prove that. The jaw and facial alignment is interesting. We actually found a couple of studies, again, looking at patients with OSA specifically, that showed when they taped the mouth, the airway anatomy seemed to be improved. So this idea, but whether or not that causes long-term improvements in jaw and facial alignment, I, I don't know where that came from. So Listeners of the program, you see a product like this, you see all of these, these claims, just do they pass the sniff test? And <laughs> no pun intended, none of them really do. None of them really do. And I think, I, I think that is – and, and I, I'll tell you what, Juliet. I wrote to these guys. It's it's one yeah. guy. It's one guy. He's a, a strength and conditioning coach. He's a very big guy. So fortunately he's in Boston, so he he hopefully won't get upset. Come find when, you. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely a big guy that I don't want to mm-hmm. have to meet. But he's very, very passionate about this, as as would anybody who develops a product and has a, a firm sure. belief in it. But he as far as I'm concerned, he's dramatically stretching the credulity of what this product can actually do and accomplish. And while I think this product may have some benefits for people with sleeping problems, with OSA specifically, to then take this and and apply it to athletes – doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever and his website is full of reviews and social media posts of people who use this and they're all young people young healthy people saying that oh my gosh my life is so much better since I started taping my mouth shut and (laughs) it's almost comical because I could think of so many like ways to twist that around (laughs) and and make it into a joke (laughs) right
2: (laughs) do we even know that nose breathing during exercise helps better? I mean, as you say, the, the lungs and the body don't care from where the oxygen cometh. <laughs> so
1: Well, we found I mean, one study. We found okay. a single study and this study is awesome because it's got a hilarious description of their exercise protocol. You're going to like this. But this study was done back in 1981, and it says the effect of nasal and oral breathing on exercise-induced asthma. So this is a very specific population. This is people who develop asthma as a result of exercising. And their exercise protocol, this is awesome, is they had their participants run, quote, to and fro at maximum speed in a measured corridor of ninety meters length. End quote.
2: <laughs> to and fro, <laughs>
1: they ran to, to and fro. And fro. <laughs> Anyways, what they did find is that this was a very small study. Five people with non-exercise-induced asthma and five without asthma. Sorry, five with exercise-induced asthma, five with regular asthma, and five without asthma. Uh, They had them do this, running to and fro, either breathing through their (laughs) nose or breathing through their mouth. They acted as their own controls. And Mm -hmm. basically what they found was nose breathing actually does seem to have an impact on exercise-induced asthma. And this is something that is known. Yeah. That goes back to this idea of the humidification of the air. We know right. that one of the reasons that people get exercise-induced asthma is because they're breathing through their mouth and they end up desiccating or drying out some of the membranes within the lung, and that causes bronchospasm and exercise-induced asthma. So breathing through the nose is one of the ways you can actually prevent that. And this study just kind of you know showed that. But it's a very small study. It's never been duplicated. And it's the only Thing that we could find that had anything to do with exercise, and we found, as right. I said, nothing whatsoever having anything to do with recovery.
2: I'm sort of <laughs> the only time that I've ever had to or had any blockage in my mouth when I was trying to do exercise was doing VO2 max testing, right? When they tube you up and they tape, well, at least they did in the eighties a long time ago, they you know, tape you up completely and you have to, they're measuring everything as you go to max. And I just can't imagine, I mean, he's not advocating this during exercise for sure, but you know, if there's no, I guess as you're looking at the studies, you, you not only found that there was nothing, that showed the benefits of nose breathing towards exercise, but there were probably no studies that showed your mouth being taped or closed in exercise either.
1: No, nothing at all. Just that one yeah. study on asthma. There's right. nothing else out there. And I should, I should finish the, the thought I had before when I was talking about the big guy who owns the company, I, I did write right. <laughs> to him to find out if there was any research that maybe they had. I mean, cause I, you know, I, yeah. I I always assume these people are not just making this stuff up, you know, they obviously believe very deeply in Mm -hmm. it, and they believe it helps. And, and I just want to know, is there science? And so I wrote and I asked politely, do you have any evidence to show to back up this assertion that the lung function is improved? And I've heard nothing back as I'm not terribly surprised. But uh, yeah, there's 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 uh, The product isn't really being marketed as something to be used during exercise. It's really being marketed as something you use at night to help you sleep better, which right, ostensibly right. will help you recover better. But again, if you don't have OSA, we don't know that this does anything of the sort. Right,
2: right. And not to mention that at least when you get to our age, already at night, you're putting on a... N- an patch. you've got earplugs in. If you're my husband, you've got a nose strip. If you're me, you've got toe separators. You know, there's a pillow under your back. I mean, how many more things are you going to do before you go to bed at night? (laughs) The preparation for sleep is
1: enough to tire you out, right?
2: (laughs) It's true. It's true. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's very interesting. So it sounds like your takeaway, Jeff, is don't waste your money on this one.
1: No, nah, I mean, and listen, it isn't inexpensive either. I mean, we talk about cost on a, a lot of the products that we talk about. This one is $30 a month, so, you know, a dollar a day. You can, of course, also add to it with their What do they call it? They have these masks. They have an eye patch. I noticed. Yes, Mm -hmm. a dream recovery sleep mask, which is sixty dollars. It's the most expensive sleep mask I've ever seen in my (laughs) life. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's it looks like it's made of the very most high quality uh, silk. And they talk about how this is again proven to improve sleep, but I, I don't know where that's coming from. Just sleep in a dark room. Anyways, so you know those are you know there's that cost, but then one of the papers of the OSA patient's mentioned that there's a serious problem with compliance with this stuff. Now, I don't know about you, like, I could not breathe through my nose. Like, I mean, the reason I end up default breathing through my mouth is because my nose is always stuffy. Again, I'm in Colorado, it's dry, you know, your nose just, just, you can't breathe through your nose. And so, if I put tape over my mouth, I would probably wake up more because I couldn't breathe, I feel like I was suffocating. And, uh, in fact, in a lot of these studies, the compliance with keeping the tape on was very low, people did not like it. They were not able to tolerate it and they had to remove it. Sometimes the tape just didn't adhere and it came off. Now, again, the tapes that were being studied in these papers were not the dream recovery. So the dream recovery may be an improvement. It may stick better. It is funny. They talk about the dream recovery being made of like this bamboo silk and it's breathable. So I was like, well, what's the point of a breathable (laughs) tape over your mouth?
0: (laughs) But but there it is.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, well, I mean anyways. I have to say,
2: you know, just just from a sort of oh gosh, I don't know throwback kind of women's lib. When I see a picture of a woman with a piece of tape over her mouth, it just conjures up all of these images of trying to silence half the population too. I mean it's not a good look for marketing at all.
1: It is not. It is not. When I (laughs) first saw it, I I think that was the first thing I pointed out to you. I was like, my God, it's like the most misogynist looking you know (laughs) advertising. It it's not intended to be, but that's the way it looks. It's really I know, I I know.
2: Yeah. Oh gosh.
1: Well, you know, we're talking about sleep. I, I think I think it's Pretty clear. This is a product that doesn't work, and I, and and my my reason for actually reviewing it on this program is not so much because I think anybody was actually going to look at it, or not so much because I thought that this was going to be wildly popular in any way. Because I don't think that it is. I, I wanted to point out once again that these kinds of products are being marketed in all kinds of ways you know we have a a high level olympic swimmer a previous gold medalist who's actually using the thing and and promoting it and i I don't begrudge her i mean these athletes they finish their swimming career it's not like people are lining up to to sponsor them so why not right my point in doing this is really just once again to remind people always be skeptical take the extra 5 minutes just to dig into the claims make sure they pass the sniff test look for any research that might be on there that can help you decide whether or not it's it's Good or not. And if you're not sure, that's when you send us an email and you say, Hey, could you look at this and, and let us know what you think? Because sometimes it's not so easy to tell. Because as I've pointed out for other products, sometimes they put a bunch of papers on there that the titles look great and some of the conclusions that they will write on there look great. But when you actually dig into the papers, the quality of the research is very poor. In this case, the research was fine. It's just not at all applicable to the people that are marketing this to. Yeah, Yeah. (sighs)
2: this this product might improve the sleep quality of your partner. I have been accused of yelling in the middle of the night, and so if I had this tape on my mouth, perhaps my husband would sleep better.
1: (laughs) Well, that's that's what I keep thinking every time I see people talking about how much it makes them sleep better. I think it's probably making their partner sleep better more than anything else. (laughs) Speaking of sleep, Juliet, it's been a couple of weeks Mm. now since we talked about uh, tart cherry juice. Tart cherry juice, yep. I've heard from several listeners who listened to the episode were as compelled as I was and have started using it in their own experiment. So. We're almost halfway through the experimental period and I'm very excited to to hear from those listeners and hear what their experience has been uh, what about you have you have you noticed right, anything so
2: i i have been when I'm home i've been taking it i've been drinking it religiously morning and night the problem is is that this month october I'm on the road more than I'm at home. And so I'm going to have to extend my trial period into November because of just the ability to consistently take the product. But how about you? You haven't been traveling that much. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I almost immediately. And again, you know how much of this is like placebo and how much of right. this is real. But almost immediately, I did notice that I seemed to sleep a little bit better. I was I, I've never had a problem falling asleep. I fall asleep pretty easily. The big issue for me is staying asleep. And then if I do have to get up like to get a drink of water or to go to the bathroom, falling back asleep has always been a problem for me. With the tartary juice, again, it's a short period. I I, I can't say there's anything definitive yet, but I have anecdotally noticed that I seem to be sleeping a little bit better. I will also say that now I've just kind of started my taper for my next race, which is coming up this weekend. So I haven't been hitting it quite as hard, but I was hitting it pretty hard last week. And I don't know. I Again, placebo or is it just because I'm aware I'm taking it? I don't know, but I definitely seem to feel a little bit less sore, a little bit more recovered going into Hmm. workouts after a tough workout. Now, again, this is me. This is an N of one. This is it's very easy to have that become like, you know, I I mean, obviously, I'm aware I'm taking it, I'm thinking about it, therefore, I may be accentuating anything that is actually happening, creating, fabricating, you know, things that aren't actually there. Right. So it's gonna, it's gonna require more time. And uh, but my initial impressions are that it has been worth the expense in the first two weeks. And We'll see. As, as we get through the next two weeks, I'll be very interested to hear what yours so I'll be very interested to see how mine continues to go and to hear from the rest of the listeners.
2: Yeah, for sure. Let's keep tracking that.
1: Yep. Well, Juliet, it's been another great episode, I think. I think we had a great discussion. Our next medical segment is going to be one that I'm really eager to talk about. It's something you and I have talked about quite a bit over the last, I'd say, four to six weeks. First, we kind of discussed whether or not it was something we wanted to tackle. And then after seeing some articles come out about athletes and this specific thing we're going to talk about, I think we both decided that this was something we should talk about. And that subject is going to be Ozempic. So if you are a listener and you have experience with Ozempic, if you're either taking it, if you know somebody who's on it, if you've been considering taking it, we would really love to hear from you before our next episode, because we're doing a deep dive into the research on this medication. This is, of course, the injectable diabetic medication that has been found to have incredible ability to temper appetite and cause dramatic weight loss uh, in people who otherwise have had a lot of trouble losing weight. So if you're an athlete or just a listener and you've had experience with the Zenpec, please Send me an email, TRI underscore DOC at iCloud.com. I would love to hear about your experience. I would love to hear about any positives, negatives, thoughts about the product, and just let us know because it will help inform our next medical mailbag that will be coming up on the next episode. Until then, Juliet, thank you so much for joining me once again. I look forward to that conversation coming up on the next episode. I hope the listeners got something out of this one.
2: (laughs) That was fun. Thanks so much, Jeff. My guest on the
1: podcast today is Alex Harrison. Alex is a former bobsledder, decathlete, javelin thrower, baseball and tennis player, but he currently spends his time, or at least most of it, as a cyclist and along the way got himself a PhD in sport physiology, a master's in human movement and performance, and a bachelor's in kinesiology. He works as a track and field and strength coach and has authored the RP Diet for Endurance, RP standing for Renaissance Periodization, which is an evidence approach to dieting and training. Recently, Alex launched a new personalized performance fueling app called Saturday, something that we will talk about during our conversation. And he and his wife, Michelle Howe, a professional triathlete, have a running series on YouTube that is highly entertaining in which they give very lighthearted and honest taste reviews at the same time as they educate on fueling on many of the nutrition products that are out there. Alex also writes for Outside and has authored many articles on diet, electrolytes, and training, and I'm really, really happy to have him join me today for a kind of free-form discussion on all things physiological and nutrition. Dr. Alex Harrison, welcome to the TriDoc Podcast.:
0: Thank you, Jeff. That was easily the most generous intro I've ever received.
1: <laughs> well, it's easy to be generous when there's so much like cool stuff to say about someone. A, ge- a decathlete, that's pretty awesome. That means not only were are you know, most of us are satisfied with three things, but uh, decathlon wins. you're doing a lot more than just that. You're throwing stuff, you're jumping over stuff, you're doing a lot of things. How, how, at what age did you get into decathlon?
0: I started decathlon right around the same time I quit baseball. So age 16, I took my throwing skills to the track and then realized I could run a bit too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've always had a love for endurance sports, though, so decathlon, I was always having to run less, honestly, in decathlon to be successful at decathlon, because I really I really do enjoy endurance, endurance training.
1: How do coaches identify potential decathletes, or is it potential decathletes that come to coaches?
0: Yeah, I think potential decathletes often sort of self-identify because they find themselves like Winning that, winning at the long jump, the three hundred hurdles, and the javelin throw all in the same meet.
1: I see, and then uh, somebody says, "Hey, you know, you could run because well, the the long distance is it a five k or a ten k for the long run?
0: It's actually only a fifteen hundred.
1: Oh, okay, <laughs> they just look like they've been running a ten k because they're a bunch of big guys. <laughs> yeah. yes well how did you transition to multi-sport coming out of all of, well I mean you were doing multi-sport I guess of a, of a sort but how did you get into swimming and then into triathlon
0: yeah i I swam actually in high school too and swimming was if we really look into it swimming was my gateway drug into track and field actually because the baseball coaches wanted us to swim for some reason for shoulder health I'm not sure where they thought that was going to transfer to baseball but I ended up never coming back to baseball once I Discovered individual sports, so I swam in high school, did track and cross country in high school, yeah, and then did decathlon through college. Did bobsled post collegiately, threw javelin somewhere between those two. Did a bunch of individual sports, mostly bobsled, and then really had to really had to keep my endurance passion under wraps in the bobsled world because that's pure strength, power, speed sport. It's your job is five seconds push the push the sled get in the sled and then get out of the wind. So the thing I did train in bobsled was aerodynamics. I trained to be very aerodynamic, stay out of the wind.
1: So you weren't, you weren't the guy in front steering then? No,
0: no, I did. I did do driver school, but I, I elected to stay a brakeman because I was good at pushing the sled. So you were in a two man sled? Two and four man. Yeah. I went to world championships in both.
1: Wow. That's pretty amazing. Ever I, I, I mean, you're just your head down, and you're just flying along at those incredible speeds. I mean, what is that that? That's just a total leap of faith.
0: Very much a leap of faith. Yeah, yeah. Your head ends up as the kickstand when you crash. <laughs>
1: that's not 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 something you tell pr- prospective sledders. I'm guessing.
0: No, no, they try to hide that from you until it happens.
1: When you, uh, we're going to get off the rails here and just coming from Canada, being a winter sports guy for most of my life, bobsled, luge, skeleton, those were things that I used to watch somewhat in awe, mostly just at the fact that people would choose to do either luge or skeleton when they could instead be in the friendly confines of a sled. It, It always struck me as those sports, they tried to hype up the danger of them. But in reality, when they crashed, I mean, everybody always got up at the end because they were just sliding down ice except for that one very tragic uh, at Vancouver. I mean, that was a horrible yeah. crash, but uh, that was the only one I'm aware of where somebody actually met a, a, a bad fate.
0: Yeah, there have been a few, a few tragic incidences, but yeah, by and large, when you crash, the, the courses are designed to keep you in, in the course. And you wear a burn vest, which is like uh, spandex mixed with Kevlar. So when you're on the ice, you don't get burned from the ice. You're going 80 miles an hour on the ice. So no road rash. You still end up with road rash through the Kevlar vest, but that's much better than a hole on your shoulder.
1: Right. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, let's get back to the, the, the issue at hand, which is really multi-sport. And I'm just fascinated, you know, you've been working in this area for many years now and, I know I work with athletes and I commonly discuss this topic on the podcast. And I'm just curious from your standpoint, what do you find are some of the common mistakes that you see beginners and even maybe more experienced triathletes make when it comes to diet and nutrition and not just around training, but just in their normal everyday
0: diet? Really good question. Most common mistakes are probably in and around training. Honestly, that's where it's the most dicey. But there are certainly like health sort of I would call them health myths or gimmicks that folks fall into. They they miss the forest for the trees when they start looking at how they're gonna do their diet overall. That's easily the most common mistake outside of training is to just get razor focused on or laser laser focused on Something small, like eliminating a certain food or food group, rather than nailing all the big things that your mom told you to do. Anyway, yeah. But in, inside training, the biggest mistake is is probably letting dehydration affect how much your gut can can absorb, and then blaming blaming whatever GI distress you end up having on the product that you're consuming. I think that's that's a huge a huge pitfall. People end up on sort of like a a revolving door of products that they they try and use over the years because they think it's the product that's not serving them well, and it's really their implementation of the nutrition strategy that they're they're doing in the race or the training session.
1: So talk a little bit about that, because I've uh, talked in the past about the importance of keeping hydrated and the fact that once you start getting down that road of dehydration, it leads to this spiral, you you know, it causes nausea, and then you can't get the nutrition anymore. And I, I think like you're saying, it's this issue that people blame the nutrition when in reality, they just didn't hydrate. So give us a scenario where how how it plays in where getting behind on hydration really leads to problems.
0: Yeah. So I always say a hydrated gut is a happy gut. And that means both systemically hydrated, your whole body hydrated and also inside your gut uh, needs to be hydrated. Meaning you have to have enough water inside the gut for the gut to process the fuel that you're putting in with it. But yeah, if you, if you incur systemic dehydration during exercise because you're sweating a bunch early on and you're not drinking until your thirst is way out of control all of a sudden you've reduced the capacity of your gut to absorb the fluid that you're drinking now which that's what starts that spiral and then when you try to add in the fuel that you're supposed to be intaking all of a sudden you get yeah gut cramps diarrhea nausea it feels like stuff is just sitting in your gut because it's not passing it through
1: And the converse of that, of course, is people who take in large amounts of simple sugars because they actually can start drawing in too much fluid into their gut. So you have almost this double-edged sword of not enough fluid or too much fluid, and both of those can lead to problems. I, I, I have started to see a lot of manufacturers of some of these products advertising, oh, we hydrate better than water, what what are they referring to? I, I, it's rubbish, of course. But, but
0: what are they referring? Sure, to yeah. I think I think folks can get away with a really high carbohydrate intake as long as they're also matching it really well with uh, the hydration that they're consuming. So that's water and sodium, and that's what those companies are saying when they when they say we hydrate better than water. Like you've probably heard, Liquid IV, Element, Hydrolyte, all of these hydration products that sell you a dollar a dollar package, and it's like a little tiny, tiny package of powder that you dump, you open up the whole package and you dump it into your water. What they're selling you is salt and maybe sodium citrate, but they're selling you sodium and you can get it in table salt and it works really well and you don't need to pay a dollar per mini package.
1: Right. And that just goes to the idea that when sodium is absorbed from the gut, it brings water along with it. But the idea that water won't be absorbed on its own is also a little bit silly. Uh, You can, however, enhance hydration if you have sodium. We know that just from studies from kids who have diarrhea. When kids have diarrhea, if you you include electrolytes and glucose, then you're going to improve the amount of water that gets uh, absorbed from the gut. So all of these companies... Telling you that they can hydrate you better is, like you said, they're just all they're doing is just adding a small amount of sodium, and this is not the the quantities of sodium that athletes are carrying around. So I've I've commented many times that uh, I see athletes on course with baggies of salt that they are gorging themselves on during the run. What, what's the problem with that?
0: Well, the, if it's just straight salt, one of the problems is they end up with either too high of osmolarity in the gut or chloride overload, both of which can cause gi issues especially in a dehydrated compromised gut state already sodium having a a relatively high sodium intake during exercise in high sweat rate scenarios can help you retain the water that you're consuming so that you reduce diuresis you're urinating less but yeah i i would say lots of folks will overdo the sodium and underdo the fluid and they don't really match the two together very well a lot of times and and then on the inverse on the other side of the coin People will often way underdose the sodium and sit at like a hundred milligrams per hour, and then be consuming one point five liters per hour, and all of a sudden they're pushing into hyponatremia and they get into trouble that way.
1: So, what's the sweet spot? Because you mentioned sweat rates, and you know, I often hear people, "Oh, I'm going for a sweat test to get my sweat analyzed," and uh, you know, I've 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 counseled people that it's not. 100% necessary to know how much salt you're losing in your sweat. It's more important to know how much fluid you're, you're losing per hour, right? because it's the fluid you need to replace. And as long as you're taking, my feeling is, as long as you're taking anywhere between four and 600 milligrams of salt per hour, that you're going to be fine. How do you approach I would
0: this? say from the perspective of a very large sweaty person, I sometimes do benefit from substantially more sodium than that, but my fluid intake also sometimes needs to be in excess of 1.5 liters per hour. So I've consumed 1.8 liters per hour just to prevent excessive body weight loss due to sweats, like when I'm in Tucson in the late spring or something and I'm outside in the middle of the day. So basically, the more you're sweating, the more you're going to need sodium. And I think 400 to 600 works in a lot of cases. I think some folks benefit from as much as 1,000 milligrams per hour or even 1,200 milligrams per hour. But th- that's definitely in folks who, one, are sweating way more than a liter per hour, and two, are consuming at least a liter per hour to offset their sweat losses. Basically, the more you sweat, the higher the sweat rate is, and the higher your intensity is, the more matching sodium to your fluid intake becomes important, especially over long durations.
1: And that's the key, right? It's matching those two. It's it's the idea is is that you've got to keep up with both. It's not it's not that there's this magic, oh, you need to take fifteen hundred milligrams of sodium an hour, you're gonna be fine. It's that you've got to take fifteen hundred milligrams of sodium while you're taking that liter and a half, because otherwise you're out of balance yeah, and you're gonna cause problems. Totally. Do you see other common electrolyte mistakes that people make? I mean, I know we always focus on sodium as the big one. I'm starting to see this company now with magnesium. I have my thoughts on that, but uh, are there other common electrolytes mistakes? Yeah, that people everything make? else
0: is a mistake, in my opinion. I, I think I think folks often, if they're into really health health interested folks, especially in the running community, will be really high on the potassium. And sometimes we'll have more potassium than sodium in a beverage, which is just a, is a recipe for hydration-related issues. Yeah, I think the the biggest mistake is just spending lots of money on a supplement that has calcium, magnesium, potassium, and you name it, whatever other electrolyte ingredient is in there, and that's just not necessary. Sodium is what helps you retain the fluid that you drink.
1: Couldn't agree more at it perfectly, which is everything else is a mistake because uh, it's amazing how these companies continue to come out. They continue to market to athletes telling them that they have the secret ingredient that they need, and the reality is is that it's all spice needed and uh, most of this stuff is micronutrients for a reason you need it in tiny tiny amounts and it's not really going to change anything and uh, yeah well it's it's really, the, the companies have a, a far bigger advertising budget than we do but it is what it is, I guess. Tell us about Saturday. This is what you have developed that uh, seems to be a grow popular kind of in this market. I know uh, there's, of course, Fuel In is, is going to be one of your competitors. So tell us where you came up with the idea for Saturday, what it does, and how you envision it uh, working for athletes.
0: Yeah, Saturday is, is an endurance nutrition coach in your pocket. It helps you build your fuel and hydration recipes with the products that you have in your kitchen. And you can use home ingredients to uh, optimize for you, and also to save money if you're into saving money um, and customizing flavors that sort of thing. And it helps you do all of that really easily. I think that's the thing that we, that differentiates us from everybody else. Is uh, one, we are totally automated, so we can keep costs down, and two, we we allow really really big time customization while being easy to use. Like the the, the Michelle and I, Michelle is my wife. We come from a uh, sports science place which is not a tech place. Sport science is very far from like the typical Garmin uh, wahoo. Those are all those are all computer people who make sport companies and when you bring in sports science and coach people, you get a different approach to technology which is it needs to be easy for coaches to use and it needs to be easy for athletes to use because we are those people and I cannot tell you how many headaches I've had sinking issues yeah update issues with other technology and or, or fighting with where where is that piece of the of the software platform that i can remember how to get to the dashboard or whatever that's that's like our antithesis
1: and how does an athlete use saturday what is a give me a typical case scenario
0: yeah you do our questionnaire there's 20 questions right up front and then once you're into the app and the 20 questions are really easy it's all just tap and go there's not even any typing um and then once you're into the app, you can sync up with Training Peaks soon. We'll, we'll have that live here in another, another month or two. And eventually, once, once Training Peaks is synced up, your, your workout fuel will be produced for you as soon as your Training Peaks workout is added to Training Peaks by your coach or by your plan. Uh, right now, we just say, what date is your training? How long is it? How hard is it? And how sweaty will you be? And there's a little slider to intuitively assess how sweaty you'll be. And then it outputs how much carbs you need, how much fluid you need, and how much sodium we need, and how to actually get it into your bottles or into your pack, and then yeah, helps you get out the door, put it all together.
1: And does it provide any nutrition outside of training? Does it give any tips or advice or a plan for daily nutrition needs, or is it really just restricted to workouts?
0: It will eventually, but we don't anticipate competing with Fuelin on that front. And I think their price point demonstrates that they're. I'm not really sure their their price point is way up there. And our price point is not way up there intentionally because the goal is make this accessible, make professional nutrition accessible to everybody like Strava and Training Peaks are pretty accessible to everybody. Um, it's not supposed to be like this high dollar uh, product, but it's going to have high dollar science behind it. Um, yeah, I think we will eventually have daily nutrition. We might even have like weight loss, weight gain if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, but it's going to be. Uh, One of our our values is that we don't encourage orthorexia or anorexia or any sort of disordered eating, which is way too common in endurance sports. And to do that, it's important to keep some of the recommendations flexible. So our macronutrient recommendations for the day and for pre-workout and post-workout will eventually be somewhat flexible and not really hyper-dialed in because that leads to orthorexia in a lot of endurance athletes.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. a tough, it's a tough spot to auction in endurance sport, because as you said, we see so much of uh, relative energy deficiency syndrome, and you don't want to play a role in that at all. And then if you've got an app in your pocket that keeps telling you eat more, eat more, and you've got an athlete whose mindset is no, I'm not going to do that. And I, I imagine then you're going to run into problems with athletes being well, I'm just not going to use this app, because it's telling me to do something I don't want to do. And, and that that's a tough place to be in. Uh, how do you even begin to To kind of like deal with that
0: that that is actually it was one of the the brightest moments for us was when we realized that people using our app were reporting that they were no longer struggling with that sort of inner voice that was telling them restrict that was really cool like people people would report like your app gave me license to actually fuel myself appropriately And that was, I mean, that's big. That's really big.
1: So just taking the decision-making away, because the app is basically saying, look, this is what you need. And then the athlete doesn't have to think about it. They're like, you know, I don't have to think about how many miles I'm going to do. My coach told me how many miles I'm doing today. Now I also don't have to think about what I'm fueling with, because here it is. So taking that out of their equation is basically making them fuel more appropriately and therefore potentially decreasing, at least while they're training the potential for them to not be underfueled. Totally. Totally. That's really interesting. I wonder if hey, I've I've spoken with nutritionists on this program multiple times and they constantly are athletes who come to them and their main focus is I have to lose weight. I want to lose weight. And 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 they always begin the journey with those athletes with this this overarching conversation about how if you want to train you have to be properly fueled yes. and if you're properly fueled it's going to be hard to lose weight and getting athletes to change that mindset is really really difficult and you know they always say look if you wait that's fine i can help you do that but you're not going to be able to train to the same uh, efficiency to the same maximal capacity and and that's really hard for people to accept you know i'll be interested as you develop the app if if you do develop this ability to help people lose weight, how you'll handle that? Will you basically underfuel them
0: during their workouts? Really good question. And that's, fortunately, that was my niche for years and years before I really niched down into just workout fueling. Yeah, I was a, I, I was a weight loss coach for endurance athletes. And before that, I was a weight loss coach for just general population. So I have a lot of newer endurance athletes, less experienced endurance athletes in my like client stable which is diminishing now just so that I can focus on being CEO. But yeah, I think I have, I think between Michelle and I, we have lots of really good ideas about how to help folks lose weight while fueling well. And we already have a lot of that uh, built into the fueling prescriptions that it outputs. So if you're somebody who wants to lose weight, we have a setting in the app that basically helps you manage your satiety outside of training by allowing you to have more whole food outside of training by restricting your intake a little bit and appropriately um, correlated with how easy your training is and how short your training is. So the shorter and easier the training is, the less you need to fuel, and you can get away with having less and then just eat solid food to stay well satiated outside of training. And then for longer training sessions, you need to be fueling well, or otherwise you're just going to end up hypoglycemic at the end of the training session and overeating anyway. That's really interesting.
1: Well, what do you see for the future for Saturday for you personally? Where where do you see things kind of evolving?
0: You know, I haven't I haven't been asked that question. I, I would say we have really really big plans for Saturday. We have plans in the hardware space, um, and I can't I can't share any more than that. But. Uh, of course we, we we will yeah
1: you're not the first person i've asked that question that tells me like little kernels and then says i can't tell you anymore Yeah.
0: <laughs> well i can tell you for sure that we're going to sync up with all the major platforms we are going to sync up with probably all the hardware that exists now so that you can get heads up reminders for when to fuel with what and it'll all be super automated and easy to use yeah easy easy to use is sort of like our all right, that's going to be baked in.
1: Well, that's really fantastic, Alex. I look forward to seeing what the future holds, both for you and for the platform. If you're interested in learning more about Saturday or about Alex and what he does, I will have links to all of those things in the show notes. And the website is actually really easy. It's just Saturday.fit,
0: correct? Uh, Saturdaymorning.fit. We also own Saturday.fit, but Saturdaymorning.fit for now. And there you go.
1: All right. So I'll have links to that in the show notes. And uh, you can always look for Alex's very informative articles on Outside and his entertaining and educational videos on YouTube. Alex Harrison, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me on the Tridark Podcast today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Truly
0: my pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for the
1: opportunity. And that's it for another episode. The Tridark Podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff along with my interns.
0: I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? <laughs> no relation. I'm, uh...
1: I'm Jeff Sankoff, uh, the, the Tri-Doc. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Those interns are Ian Johnson and Ben Johnson. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today, as well as archives of previous episodes at tridocpodcast.com. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode? Or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Send me an email at tri-doc at icloud.com or join the private TriDoc Podcast Facebook group on Facebook and you can submit your questions there. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit TriDocCoaching.com or LifesportCoaching.com where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the Tridark Podcast Facebook page, Tridark Coaching on Instagram, and the Tridark Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. And of course, there's always the option of becoming a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Tridark Podcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at reverbnation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The Tri Doc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, remember 1121 and train hard, train healthy.